All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. Uh, we'll announce the episode a little bit later. Jason Lingren is with me. We've asked Marty Leeds on. Um, I will probably be showing up on Marty Leeds' uh, channel before too long. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good afternoon. Uh, do we have a darn thing for the intro? I mean, we're kind of a number of shows in, in front of ourselves here, but can you think of anything that needs announcing? Well, the CD Baby soundtrack is up, and I'm working on getting CDs made. I've had multiple people ask me, but that's about it, and they might even be in existence by the time this goes out. All right, just to be clear, so many people wanted the, in- the new intro music that Alex Michael wrote for Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast <laughs> and the soundtrack that Mr. Dietz wrote for Shoot the Moon, our feature-length film on all the stuff I filmed through a telescope that we finally just buckled and we put it all up on CD, baby. Jason had to do some work there. Anything else, Jason? No, let's get Marty in here. All right, man. Welcome, Marty, all the way from Hawaii. I am at six degrees this morning, you lucky dog. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a a cool 78 right now, so... uh... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, rub it in. You got any sun, you know, suntan oil I can borrow? <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's it's the rainy season now, so it's been a little bit rainy, but it's it's been nice the last couple of days. So, yeah, I I mean, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I missed the winter okay. for about a week. You know, like you, yeah, I, you know what I mean? Like I oh, it's oh, it's the blanket of snow. It's always really, you know, it's really I don't know, it's just beautiful and stuff like that. But then you got to shovel it, and then it's cold. So I'll take. I'm with you all day. Um, I like winter for about a week, but I shouldn't complain. Actually, we've had two snows that were gone by the next day, so we're doing okay. But uh, let's jump in here. So Jason suggested that we start to cover a little bit about where the so-called, and I don't like this moniker, truth community has come. I really don't like that moniker, but it's what everyone uses. Over the past year, year and a half, things have really shifted. I mean, when you say... Yes, and I I agree. I don't like there's certain um, verbiage and things like that that people use within this community that I just can't stand. We talked about it before the air shill. I can't stand that word. I think it Me means too. nothing. It doesn't help anything. You call somebody a shill. What exactly are you insinuating? What exactly are you saying? Are you saying that they're COINTELPRO? Are you saying that they work for the government? Do you have any proof of this? You know, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff, you know, and you hear this again and again, and it doesn't help anything. It, you know, it means I, they're paranoid. That's what it means. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, for sure. Right. Like, and I, I don't, I don't think the truth movement or community, yes, it's sort of a blanket term for this whole thing that we're kind of undergoing. And I agree. I don't really like it, but it, you know, at least people know what you're talking about in that sort of sense. So it has shifted and moved because let's just say it, more of the truth is coming out and we're starting to see who's full of BS and who's not in a sense. You know, you're getting a lot of these people that have been around for a long time. You know, I can point to you. I would like to think I'm part of that. I can look at guys, you know, this is my personal opinion or whatever, but I can look at guys like Nathan over at Lift the Veil and those They've been around for so long. It's like, you know, you can't continue to like call people CIA agents and shills and stuff like that when you don't have any basis to do so. And you see these people out for years and years and years putting themselves out there. You know, like I said, hurling themselves against the barricades. And it's like you see you see people that are rising to the top that are really interested in trying to figure out what's going on with this world. And what you see over this time, even in the last three, four years, is all the people that were, you know, kind of full of BS are just kind of flittering away. And I think that's how it should be, you know? Well, a lot of, a lot of what you see is people who keep at this for a while, um, some of them start losing track of common sense. And I think part of that 
is the community that builds up around them, uh, starts to help drive the direction they're going in. And it's not easy. You know, you're coming out and you're addressing things weekly in our case, um, but we never let go of common sense. Even I would rather be wrong and using common sense than be right and be out in left field somewhere because it's it's a simple thing to come on the air later and say, hey, I made a mistake here. I've done it a number of times, but uh, we see some bizarre spinoffs, you know, occasionally where people are just so far out in left field, it's not helping. Yeah. And I, you know, I just did a live stream about this, about like admitting your mistakes and just checking your ego at the door and stuff like that. I'm about to do a live stream called, uh, what was I going to call it? I was going to call it, um, uh, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. It's a necessity. And what I was going to talk about is the fact that like when you undergo any sort of when you're in the truth movement or undergo your sort of trajectory to finding out how much you've been lied to and what's true and what's not, you are absolute. It's imperative that you make mistakes. It's imperative that you screw up. It's it's paramount to your entire process of making mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, you can't figure out what you got wrong. You can't figure out what's right. You know, I call mistakes stepping stones to a higher understanding. If you don't make them, you can't continue to climb that mountain of truth, if you will. And one of the things I was going to call out was, you know, people like in the flat earth community, like a guy like Jaron, right? Jaron did, he did some like laser experiments early on, right? And he's like, you know, there was just a bunch of things that he screwed up. There was variables that he wasn't accounting for. You know, he didn't know necessarily know how to operate the laser, stuff like that. Right. And what happened to him after that? The globe tards or whatever the heck you want to call them, they just ascended on him like he was a freaking idiot. Right. And I'm sitting back there. I'm like, no, he's engaging in science. Right. That's what he's trying. Trying. You know, do you know how many times exactly you know how many times you could show up and try to do a laser experiment over a lake and five times out of six you fail? Well, that's part of the scientific process. It's like I said, it's imperative, it's paramount to to make mistakes. You you don't know what you don't know is the truth of it when you get going on certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've only now I can see, you know, I'm coming from personal experience here because you know, I have books that are for sale right now, and there's mistakes in those books. Those There's things in those books that are dead wrong. But if I hadn't made them, I would not be what I'm doing right now. And so that's that's what I see within the, the truth community. You see, you know, like I said, terrible moniker. You know, I agree with you. But you, what you see is there's people out there that are willing to humble themselves to thousands and thousands of people. And that's what we need. We don't we need people to be clear, concise, cut through the BS and just, you know, set your ego at the door. Lego my ego, as I say, you know, (laughs) we don't we don't need it anymore. We don't have time for it. There's we don't have the luxury for that. I I can actually offer something here, um, because if you go to the oldest clips on my YouTube channel, I never changed them. And there are tons of mistakes and, well, not necessarily mistakes. It's like you said, it's a learning process. You can find clips all the way back on Crow Triple Seven on YouTube where I'm still accepting that I'm tracking a satellite in supposed outer space. I never changed those clips. I made mistakes like calling the moon a hologram. I did a ton of things. Then I tried to correct that, called it a facade. I kept <laughs> trying to get better. And for a while, I wasn't. But I never, I left that path up for people to see all the things that changed as I went along. It took a while before I even bothered to to challenge how are these satellites being tracked. It took a long time before I got an optics expert to start valuing out pixels. It took the Huffington Post bad-mouthing me before I finally got the gumption to do that. But uh, I'm with you all day long. You, You do the best you can, and when you've made a mistake, 
you just flat out come on and say, hey, I was wrong and here's here's why or here's what I know now. But so much of the kind of I, I just don't like truth. You know, if you really wanted to call it, it'd be the the lie community because that's mostly what it's about is uncovering <laughs> things that are untrue. <laughs> but but what you see is people. There's a certain kind of crazy that creeps into some of it, and it's really unfortunate um, because everyone gets blanketed in together. And for my part, the most important thing about what we're doing is you got to have common sense. And you know, when you got going on the shill thing, here's another thing. The whole number thing, you know, I remember people used to look at your thing. Oh, Marty Leeds got 33. Clearly he's something I'm afraid of. So I'm just going to call him Illuminati or, or whatever diaper wearing paranoia they wanted to spray out into the universe. But that's another thing is the numbers game. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people it's all about intention. It's all about intention. They're just symbols. Um, so what you're actually looking at is a symbol that someone put intention to. It doesn't make the symbol necessarily good or bad or you know anything like that. Uh, what's your take on it? I mean, that's that's been well, that's been a difficult conversation I've tried to have on this on the web for a long time, and it's it's so hard to break that programming in people's mind. And you get it with all of it, like you get it with the all-seeing eye of God, the square encompasses, the, the number thirty-three. You know, it's it doesn't even the triangle itself, like the pentagram. I mean, over the years, it's I hear the same sort of thing. In fact, I was just on Truthstream Media's uh, channel. They just posted another video, and someone was below, and they were saying, well, we know the band Rush is satanic because they had a pentagram on the cover of 2012 2112, or, yeah, 2112 or whatever, yeah. and, and then that just proves that, the, and it's like, what what are you talking about? You know, like, that is absolutely paranoid delusional. Now, when I first started this, I, I, I knew that was already happening because I was studying math. I was like, oh, people just don't understand this stuff. So I knew 33 was like a big number, right? Like people, and I've experienced it over the years, so people just freak out. I was like, what does 33 mean? Are you part of the Illuminati? No, I'm not part of the Illuminati, right? Not at all. But, you know, I started my website and wrote my first book around 32 and 33 years old. So it was really serendipitous, you know, for me, synchronistic or whatever for me to put out my website. But I knew, I was like, you know what, I'm going to put 33 behind my name. Number one, because I know what it means. I know what it means to me you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I know the mathematics behind why that number is so important. But I also know that people are paranoid and things like that. And I also knew putting that number out, I was going to weed out people who weren't ready. It was almost right. like a, I call like an alchemical sieve or like an alchemical strainer or something like that. Like all the people that were able to be like, well, I'm not going to freak out because this guy has like 333 or 33 or 777 behind his name or something like that. I'm not going to freak out. I'm just going to give him a chance and listen. I knew it was going to weed out those people immediately. And I was right about that. You well, know? you know, there's something before I throw it over to Jason, there, there's something you see when you're being paranoid. Oh, this number's bad. That number's bad. Everything's bad. All you've done is failed to educate yourself. And what one of the things Jason and I did is we went back to Greek myth because so much of what we see is rooted in what's supposedly the oldest stories ever told, which they're not. It's just the ones we can get back to. And they're proved out in nature and they're proved out in what happens to a man or a woman. You know, why does Zeus cheat? Well, men and women cheat. All these examples that are provably part of our existence are in those tales. But you see, here's the problem. Everyone points saying this is evil, this is that, this is the other thing, where if they just took the time to learn about the myths, they wouldn't be so damn clueless all the time. And when it gets misused, they would identify it. And as a matter of fact, the very thing I'm talking about would be a good thing to bone up on this year because we're going into the Olympics. And where does all that come from? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Especially with the the Christian angle for me was always just so insane because I would put, you know, I'd focus on the number 13 and I would put 33 behind my name. And I would have Christians over the years like, well, I'm, you know, one lady once told me, and I'll never forget this. She's like, you know, she was a, a, a fundamentalist or a literalist Christian, right? And she said, well, I'm going to get married. And one of the dates that she wanted to get married on just happened to be the 13th. And she's like, well, I, I can't get married on there. We really want to. It's a perfect day, but we're not going to get married. And I was just like, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. So that means Jesus and his troop was 13 dudes. Why are you afraid of the number 13? You know, people, I, I've heard Christians right. over the years call me Freemasonic and Illuminati because of 33. I'm like, why are you why are you associating 33? Jesus Christ supposedly lived to 33 years. Why did you jump to the gun and assume that I'm some evil, nefarious, wicked, whatever, you know, whatever? It doesn't make any sense. And all it does is point out people's delusions or their, you know, the misinformation campaign that's been going on for years that they've uh, adhered to. It doesn't help anything. Right. And and we see we see numbers like 33 as the thumbprint all the time, which also doesn't help. It just creates more confusion and paranoia. But let's let's make it true. A hundred percent of anything, there's only one way to cut it into a third, right? And it's not coming out even in our system. So everything you do is gonna have that. So Marty, we kind of opened with the whole different approach to the way people are attacking the problems in the truth movement. And again, we we all don't like that term, but I don't even know what else to call it because you could be going from super esoteric stuff that like you discussed to people who still don't even know that the Federal Reserve is a private organization and not part of the United States government, like things like that. Like all of that is the truth movement. And if people are still Art Bell fans, they're going to put Bigfoot in there. So that that's all crazy but <laughs> but anyway the whole point is where do you think things have gone and where they're going to because obviously new people are waking up to different concepts all the time and you get a lot of armchair quarterbacks especially in youtube comment sections and things like that like i had a problem early on when i started doing these live streams a couple of weeks ago where somebody was demanding of me that the other person who's joining me Wayne McCroy is actually this other person and one of us is a gatekeeper and all this stuff. I'm like, where are you getting this from? Like, what is crazy? <laughs> right. Like, what is a shill and what are we supposed to be shilling for and who is paying us? And like all this kind of stuff, like these concepts are just insane. And I would like to think we've come a far away from 20 years ago when people really started talking about this stuff in mass. But what do you see as the overall state of things and where we're going? Because obviously, whatever the actual bad guys are doing is still moving forward with whatever plans they've got. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, to be honest, because I, I I mean, I don't know where things are going. It depends what day you ask me, maybe, <laughs> you know, because some days are better than others. But I mean, people, I mean, I think that there's some sort of I mean, I know this sounds cliche and new agey or whatever, but I think there's some sort of mass awakening happening. I, there is. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, the fact that, you know, things like, well, any of the uh, topics that we talk about, the fact that any of this stuff is even being discussed openly is pretty remarkable. You know, the fact that people are even, you know, flat earth five years ago, if you even you know, talked about it, it's like you, you know, gnashing teeth and people would just get, you know, blood red in their face and stuff like that. But now people are a lot more open to it. In fact, I think, you know, um, when we were just talking about um, Sean over at SGT, you know, he's having guys like you and I on. He's having, you know, it's like, and this is getting out to a mass audience, and people are pretty pretty open to and accepting a lot of this stuff, which is good, you know. Right, right. So, 
I was just talking about how we can't really, before the show, I was talking about how it's like, you know, I'm an esotericist, but we don't have time for esoteric speech anymore. We got to cut through it and talk, you know, speak directly. But to talk about something, if we have a little bit of time, I, uh, how do I talk about this? Don't forget that our audience is way more open-minded than most and much higher minded. Yeah. What are you tripping on there, Marty? The F-bombs or the idea? No, no, the idea Um, (laughs) to, to even broach the subject. I think I think 2012, I think the Mayan calendar in 2012, I think there was some legitimacy to it. Now, if you don't understand, as far as like, look, there's a shift of ages, there's an awakening happening, stuff like that. Before a lot of these major topics hit, I thought something like that was going on. And I, I used to be the kind of friends or whatever with John Major Jenkins, who was one of the main guys, scholars behind the 2012 thing. Now, 2012, if you actually followed the true research behind it, had nothing to do with a pole shift or, you know, a, a apocalypse or the blah, 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 blah. The Mayans were basically looking at, at what you call the sky clock, right? God's time. There's an infallible truth that's put right up in the firmament. Cultures across the plane of this earth, the realm of this earth, whatever the hell you want to call it, have followed it for a long time. They mapped long periods of time called procession. There was a shift. According to the Mayans in their calendar, there was a shift. Now, it's it wasn't just some random calendar that they were putting together. What were they doing? Like you said, they were following the sky clock. And according to you know their time period, th- looks like there was a new age that started, like this whole, and it was based on, of course, what they actually saw in the sky with the sun rising in the center of the Milky Way galaxy at you know December 21st and the solstice, right? This wasn't based on a Gregorian calendar. This wasn't based on some you know, whatever, like crazy prophecy and stuff like that. All the Mayans were doing, at least according to what we know, was mapping and tracking God's time. So they said that there was going to be a shift of ages and they actually gave it, you know, it's between a, it's a a 36 year shift or actually a 72 year shift, if you will, because it's one degree on the processional clock, right? 72 degrees I'm sorry. So yeah, 72 degrees for, or I'm sorry, 72 years for one degree. Excuse me. The Mayans said that we'd sort of be in this time. I, you know, to me, if like you said that to most people, they'd be like, that's freaking crazy. Like, what are you talking about? The mind, you know, whatever. But I think there might be something there to it. Look at what's going on right now. We have a we have a, a reemergence. We have a, a renaissance going on right now of all of these topics. Everything from, like you said, people calling out the Federal Reserve to the esotericism, getting the rebirth of that to the questioning of our cosmology. All of this stuff just seems to be happening right now. And look, these people that were tracking long periods of time saying, look, there's going to be a shift to the ages here. I think there's something to it, man. I, I know well, that I, might sound crazy, but whatever. Well, you know? I think you can demonstrate that you're not wrong. Look what happened in that period of time. I always mark it around 2000 just because it's a convenient number. But mm-hmm. the truth is it was a little later and we did see people start to wake up. We saw all these changes. Part of the issue that's always going to be trouble for people that are trying to do what we're doing is history. When I looked at how... They supposedly cracked Mayan writing. I started getting the bad feeling in my pit of my stomach when I looked at cuneiform, when I looked back at all the nonsense around that. But the point is, um, you can see that those calendars exist. You can see that from all intents and purposes, it's way more sensible way. Like right now, if I was going to take our calendar and say, all right, let's get a group of learned people together and make a calendar that makes sense. Well, the first thing that would happen for me, anyhow, where I am currently is there would be a month. The moon would now dictate a month as it once did. And then the solar calendar 
another calendar, like kind of like the Mayan idea, this whole separate calendar would mark special events like equinoxes and solstices and all the holidays that we want to have. And how long is a year it would do those kinds of things. So you can see the value in what's gone on. But when you go back to that period of time, you got to realize it was precious few years right before 2012 that everyone got a cell phone in their pocket. That one thing alone is a massive shift. It's like the Star Trek communicator idea, right? You hit your little thing and you can talk to anyone anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, That was coming on. The internet was coming to an age. It had been, I don't want to say normalized, but it had been around long enough that people were starting to get the hang of it. Um, So there was absolutely a completely new way of living in the Western world at that time. So I don't really think it's arguable. And at the base of what you're talking about is a thing that I think is the most crucial. It's ages. Uh, Everything we see in the world is a cycle. And if you take it down to even a small year, you can see we're going to have summer, we're going to have fall, we're going to have winter. These cycles continually go. Well, the bigger cycles are no different from my point of view. And in those cycles, things are going to happen. And it is quite possible that learned people who track the sky for the Lord knows how many generations had a very good handle on that. And I think that's a big part of what times all the fake news and nonsense that we see. But it's also because there are people still in the world who understand that when we hit this threshold and go into this period of time, these things are more possible. I think that's a big part of it. But to get back to the main point here, I took a lot of time with the Mayan thing and the pyramids, and I'm not convinced we've ever been told a true thing about any of those so-called indigenous cultures that had stone monolithic structures, or monolithic's not the right word, you know what I'm saying, Yeah, Uh, big, big rock structures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily trust any of the history behind it. The one thing I can, I mean, this is this is my bread and butter here. When I get down to it, the one thing we can trust is the math, um, because the math is verifiable, and it's all based on what. Once again, it's those metaphysical principles. You don't. No one gets to decide when the sun rises and falls. No one gets to decide what phase the moon is. No one gets to decide whether Mercury's in retrograde or not. God decides. The Creator decides those all those things. So you have this calendar that was clearly. It clearly advanced, clearly mapped all of these different, you know, uh, celestial bodies or whatever like that and, and incorporated them with one another in this massive calendar that was, as far as we know, untouched for at least hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Once again, the history is very questionable about that. But and, we can and cyclical and cyclical, which is ex- a big deal from our way of thinking, which we're all linear here. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say, too. When you get into the 2012 thing, this is why, think about how much propaganda happened to 2012. Right. The only thing the normie ever knew about 2012, it's the end of the world. The Mayans, <laughs> Mayans predicted the end of the world. There's going to be, you know, the whole world's going to burn. It's going to be a pole shift. We're going to have an apocalypse. It's going to be a comet, the crap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No one ever said, well, no, if you just look at how the calendar operates, it's cyclical, clearly, just like time. I mean, you'd have to be an idiot not to, like, study that calendar and realize that it was cyclical. So, you know, 13 Bakhtun cycle absolutely did end. You know, this is where the the um, the work of, like I said, John Major Jenkins uh, really comes in. Just a great, great scholar. You know, just a guy that was really genuine, really. Um, he passed away now. Um, he rest in peace. But a genuine scholar. Like, he wasn't into being a freaking e-celeb. He wasn't into, you know, none of that stuff. He was like, I know I'm going to go down. I'm going to try to reconstitute the Mayan cosmology and learn about their calendar and stuff like that. And then he brought that out and he did a fantastic job of it, you know? So this gets into all sorts of other things too, about like where we can find the same information that the Mayans were calculating 
whoever those people were in Chichen Itza in their calendar, we can find the same information. And I mean the same information. I mean the exact same information encoded within the name of Jesus Christ. It's there. Like, I mean, I did a whole video and I did a three hour lecture showing all the math. You can verify everything I'm saying. You know, I challenge people to do that. So it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, like the procession of the equinoxes and the period of the five ages, if you will, are encoded in Jesus Christ's name. We could do the math right now if anybody wants. So meanwhile, while we're looking at the the 2012 calendar, it's like, oh, end of the world and stuff like that. That's what we're taught about it. Well, if everybody would have actually been taught that that same math, math the Sulkin, by the way, the Sulkin, the main piece of the Mayan calendar is absolutely encoded in Lord Jesus Christ's name. Now, what are Christians going to do with that information? More than likely nothing, but well, not not much, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's it's not provided for in any meaningful way. But you know, there's another piece of this. It's almost archetypal in human beings when you start to talk about calendars and how the sky clock works. Although many of us have been convinced that that's clearly evil work if you look up at the sun or other things, which is unfortunate. As a matter of fact, I just went to a doctor the other day to have something on my skin looked at. And I was asked, do you have a history of skin cancer? I said, no, but I'm part Greek, so maybe the sun's my friend. This doctor, this dermatologist looked me in the eye and said, the sun isn't anyone's friend. And I thought, wow, we have come a long way from common sense in this world. But when you go back to the idea of what the Mayans are showing, quite often they'd make them look like gears. So there were were all these different calendars that kind of geared together. And there's an archetypal kind of hook in that that makes you want to go back to something more common sense. But here's the problem. I'm almost convinced that without the backstory, without the back information for all the observations, we would have a tough time ever getting to the level of knowledge that was apparently once known. And it, it gets worse because here we're convinced that everything's solar and that everything is measured by the sun. You go to China or other places, still the moon's doing a lot of it. You go to Hebrew, both of them, the sun and the moon are tied together in these things. But the point I would make here is we're of a mind mostly in the Western and modern world that everything is linear. And the idea that cyclical things happen, which makes certain things about our world predictable, is lost. Like right now, it's winter. It's six degrees outside. And you know what I know? In about two or three months, it's going to start warming up to this thing called spring. And you want to know something else? I can predict the one that comes 360 some odd days after that and after that and after that. That's what cyclical thinking in terms of time does for you. So if you know that about a year, well, what is? what about 72 years? What about 500 years? What about 1,500 years? Those could be cycles too. And this is the point I'm making. Um, I'm convinced that some of the power players never lost the older observations that back up what we could all see now. But to make it worse, Marty, I don't know if you followed, we've done things like showed that the sign of Libra was an add-in. So the current systems we have in the West are jacked up. And I have no idea how to unjack them. But I guess the sidereal people can make the argument, well, we just start looking at what we see, which is a good argument, by the way. Like we've had Athen Kementi on, and he looks at what's visibly there. He doesn't do these bizarre calculations to roll it back to some other time before some supposed procession or this nonsense that everyone's been convinced. They look up, they see what's there, and they do it. But the problem is that doesn't tell you where you are in the cycle. Not only does it not tell you where you are in the cycle, it doesn't tell you what happened in the previous cycle at this time. So there's so much that we're up against. And without that older information that's legit, I'm not sure how we ever catch up. 
Well, I think the the way to catch up, and this is something that I want to start doing a lot more because I know uh, I know the study of astrotheology and astrology fairly well, right? You know, I mean, I've studied it quite a bit, but you know what I haven't done is the hands-on tracking and mapping of the stars themselves, which is something I think as a humanity we need to do again. We can't always just sit there and rely right. on what the computer tells us and stuff right. like that. No, you have to go out and actually look at it yourself. It's the same thing with math. You know, it's like you can't, I mean, to me, I had to learn math from the ground floor. I had to literally, when I first started doing this again, I got my notebook out and I was doing multiplication tables again as a 20 seven, eight-year-old man. I was doing multiplication tables again because I had to relearn it. I had to learn it from the ground floor. Well, none of us were taught astrology. None of us were taught the mapping and tracking of stars in a proper way. Why? Well, but they don't want us to know that stuff. That's why. You know, so I think <laughs> it matters. Yeah, of course, right? And so I think we need to really get more hands-on with that. I do know this, that any of like the esoteric or hermetic or alchemical literature, any of that stuff that I had read before, there was always this focus on the cyclical time, as you right. were saying, but right. also, but you know, be, because that's just observable. That's what is put forward by nature. That's just what God has willed. It, it, just like you're saying, you can take the microcosm and look into the macrocosm. Obviously, we have a cyclical thing going on here with the sun. It's winter, then it gets summer, and then it's back to winter. Hey, look at that. That's a cycle. We should assume that that's happening in a microcosm and macrocosms at macrocosmic scale. Now, in like like I said, alchemical literature, that sort of stuff, the, the procession of the equinoxes is always heralded, you know. So I have to look at that and be like, well, there, there's obviously something's going on. And if we're talking about world ages, and you're looking at the procession of the equinoxes and the cyclical time, that makes sense. That hey, there's the rise and fall of consciousness over time, that sort of thing. Can we necessarily quantify that? I don't know about that, but I, I do take it seriously. You know, um, I don't I, have all I the have, answers yet. You know, yeah, I have some problems with the procession um, mm -hmm. as it's been handed us. But here's another thing I would point out that I realized as you were saying what you were saying. If you go out into the world with a telescope or even binoculars, or if you're in a good place like you are, where there's a great view of the sky, just your eyeballs and you start to view the sky. You want to know what disappears? What disappears is whether you're on a plane, whether you're on a ball, whether it doesn't matter anymore. You're observing what's actually there. And that will begin to inform the things you think are probably correct, or in some cases, it will prove outright certain things that you will then know are correct. But it's it's a hell of a point you made. Like, if I open Stellarium, I know the model that built Stellarium. It's the old NASA model. That's what's mm -hmm. running Stellarium. I don't accept it. And that doesn't detract from Stellarium. You know, I've used it a lot, and I don't ever remember opening up Stellarium and saying, hey, man, the, the moon's way in this other place, or these stars are nowhere close to where they should be. It's not the case. Um, that's the amazing thing about math. <laughs> math can make things, can describe things that never existed in this world if it wants to, or if the human being using wants to. My point being is to get back to the sky clock is one of the most critical things. And there are so many cliches we've been told, like everything has its season. That's an important idea. And when you mentioned alchemy, Almost all important alchemical procedures, which for everyone listening, we're not talking about black magic. We're talking about science that would only achieve within the scope of what nature would allow. In other words, nothing's yes. going to be done against the natural world here. We're going to respect everything about nature as we try to do what I'll just call science. That is alchemy. And it's a much more sane scheme, by the way, than chemistry or, or any of the things that followed. Much more sane. 
but the point I would make is many of these things have to start in the spring. In other words, they're recognizing that we live in this cycle, and if we want to do this thing, we've got to be in step with the cycle. To the point where when you started this thing in the spring and you're three, four months in, you will get to the point where the moon needs to be in this position on this day to harvest this plant. And most people think you're talking about hocus pocus. You're not. What you are doing is so finitely understanding the natural environment and the all-important time that makes any of it move or be here. Without time, we would just be static. So to ignore time in the way we do makes no sense. But these older methods of science, which are now hidden from us or lied about, which if there was a Maya as we think they were, this is what they were doing, this type of science. They were so in tune with the timing of things, it's, it's crazy to think how far we've come. It, it just is. We are so detached from the natural world and the artificiality of it all has put us in fantasy-based reality, basically. They've got everybody paranoid. The propaganda, the hypnosis, all that stuff has everybody paranoid about the supernatural. And what you really have to what you have to understand is it's not it nature's super. That's what it is. It's not supernatural. Nature is super. If you align with nature, what you're actually doing is aligning with the emanations and the will of God. What you're, you know, now can evil people, like you mentioned, black magic and dark magicians and all that sort of stuff, can those people use these uh, latent or potential powers that we might not understand? Can they use those powers of a, of a godly divine origin for evil? Of course. Of course they can. Yeah, it's how, it's how we got the age of technology, basically. <laughs> Look, the internet is 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 a dark. I mean, we're using it for light, of course. At least I like to think we are. But the but the internet itself is a black magic ritual. This is straight up occultism. Let's go into it, shall we? The internet is based off zero and one, which is a binary system. The binary system, at least as far as we understood, according to the Egyptian papyruses and stuff like that, if we trust any of that, like I said, I don't. I know you guys don't. I'm sure people that are listening to this don't. But as far as we understood, the Egyptians used um, the, the basis of their math was binary. Now, whether the Egyptians did or not, what we can do is see there is a binary in nature inherently. It's in the numbers zero and one. The entire internet is created with zero and one, right? It lets but, but let's, information. Let's, let's make a distinction before you go. I'm sorry for stepping on you. No, go ahead. I and, and I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but the idea of the binary we use now uses a zero that does not occur in nature. It's not possible in nature to, to be absent of everything. In a world that's made up of everything, the current... See, if zero is a placeholder or the on and off idea... That's binary that can reflect nature. But how we see it used in like numbers and stuff is it's not just not one, it's nothing, nothingness. And then you can have multiples that go backwards from one of nothingness. I did blogs of this, but to me, that is the root of the black magic-y kind of artificial, not in step with nature idea that you're going to do. And I'm sorry for stepping on you, but I wanted to get that in there. The zero in binary is not the zero in nature from my point of view. Okay, so this is where I'll disagree with you. Let me, uh, let me try to put this forward in, in, in a way that makes sense. Fair. Natural uh, numbers are, and maybe we maybe we'll get into this in the second hour, and we'll try to you know really go through it or whatever, and get actually into the ten emanations of God, why this is central to Kabbalah, why you have ten fingers and ten toes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But maybe that's a second hour conversation. But for this conversation, 
zero and one are actually, they are found in nature. And what those two represent, in fact, the Pythagoreans, once again, whether we believe any of this history or not, the Pythagoreans didn't even consider any number until the number three, because the number three, uh, geometrically, as you know, is the first first polygon, I call it the embryonic polygon of creation, but it's the first polygon that you actually encose in cases or encloses space, right? Two points is just two points. You can make a line, you know, one point is just one point. It can be infinitely large, infinitely small, two points. You can connect them with a line, but it's only with three points that you actually bring geometry or earth measure into the, you know, your study there, right? Right. Matter. So matter exactly. Right. So you have zero, one, two before that. Well, what zero and one represent are, exa- are exactly your experience all the time. So let's go look at the qualities of zero and one. Okay, what is zero? It's nothing. It's no thing. It, it, it represents immateriality, correct? It represents nothingness. Okay, well, then we which, go to... Which doesn't exist, though. That's my problem. Okay, so let, let me explain this. So then you have immateriality and materiality. So zero, you would have the rep- representing literally nothingness or immateriality, no material. And one, what do you have? You have oneness, totality, unity, right? You have the to- totality of materiality. So really what you have there is the, the classic things that you find not only within um, uh, Judaism and Christianity with, in the beginning, God created what? Heaven, spirit, earth, matter, Right. Spirit and matter, of course, these are fundamentals within any sort of, I mean, you look at masonry, you look at hermeticism, you look at alchemy, you look at all over the world, spirit and matter are these fundamentals of your existence. Well, those two concepts can be found with this in in, in zero and one. Now, what's important is that if you actually look at the the qualities and properties of the the non-number zero, what do you get? You say, as you said, zero is a placeholder. Well, if we understand that zero is spirit, then what is that placeholder? In that sense, it would be God. God is the placeholder of everything. And what is God? He's immaterial. It's it's the nothing. It's the no thing, right? It's beyond the material. It's metaphysical, correct? Now, when you actually use that zero and you put it behind materiality in a number system, it doesn't matter if you're using a binary, a septenary, a duodecimal, a decimal system. What happens, like in a decimal system, for instance, you put a one there, you put a zero before that one, it's still one, right? You put a zero after that one, nothing after that one, what happens? All of a sudden, it gives it an order of magnitude of a power of 10. So hold on here. Let's slow down for a second. What you just did there was took a no thing and used it as a no thing, and then you used it as a something. Just like God has simultaneously, is nothing, is immateriality, but what? Has power, has has a 10 times the power. All right, I'll let you keep going. We can agree to disagree, but I I guess I wouldn't describe God as the no thing of zero. um, And and I certainly wouldn't describe spirit in that way either. But okay, we'll we'll agree to disagree. Sorry, go ahead. Well, in the beginning, right, there's there's this notion that any, but even in like a material scientific scientism paradigm, right? We, we come to this thing where it's like in the Big Bang, there was nothing, and nothing somehow became something. Well, it doesn't matter what cosmology you look at, like somewhere in your philosophy, just in your ruminations of your mind and trying to figure out how things work, you're eventually going to come to that point where you have to realize that. Well, all of this unity of everything, that that's a unity, there's a multiplicity, obviously, in the unity, but there's a unity of everything, right? This is a closed system. It is. All of this oneness had to come from something. What and uh, uh, nothing there at one point, there, this well, there, didn't there's exist. Also, well, there's also the option that it's always been here. That's an option. 
Well, then we get into like, then it gets into the whole like, you know, whether right. this is holographic, <laughs> if it's a dream, that sort of thing, right? But, but, but it is an option. Yes. And by the way, I would point out that the third law of thermodynamics shows us that the Big Bang is nonsense. And the yep. only reason I'm bringing that up is if you go online to look that up now, now they've entwined the third law to bolster the idea of the Big Bang because they knew it was such a problem. I'm not kidding. Do a search for the third law proves the Big Bang is nonsense or whatever you want to do, and you will see now that they've integrated it and they've removed all the returns where the actual honest physicists are saying flat out, this is a law, that's a theory, which one are you going to take? So anyhow, that was a bit of a sidetrack. No, I mean, Big Bang is obviously nonsense. I mean, all of that stuff is nonsense. So I just know that when I went into the study of mathematics, those things made sense to me. What you have, if we're going to take spirit and matter seriously, because spirit is in in every sense, like even in defining, it's immaterial, yet it's something that that exists. Hold hold, hold on, Marty, and I I hate to keep... I hate, I hate to keep butting in here, but you see, from from the alchemical usage, which is the foundation of almost everything, and even though we don't openly use alchemy anymore, it's in everything we do. Any food that was ever like miso or fermented, that's all based on alchemy. But to this day, when you go into the liquor store, every bottle of liquor in there says spirit. And that is in fact spirit. It is in fact ethyl or methyl alcohol, which is the spirit of every, almost every growing plant in this world. What you're pointing to, I think, is when we start to get over to human beings, uh, clearly it's not ethyl or methyl alcohol when we're talking about spirits. But see, this is where philosophically we're going to have to agree to disagree because I can't classify that as nothing or the absence of everything or however you would do it. You see where I'm going with all this? Yes, well, our our understanding of nothing is is based on a material understanding. Like there there can't be no thing. But I mean, I understand it in the sense of like an immaterial immaterial nature that's always there. And as I just did a I just did a podcast or a, a lecture too talking about this about how this is actually how faith is defined. If anybody wants to check it out. But when going back to the principles of the numbers themselves, when you look at zero, which is actually considered a non-number, the, this is the quality of it. This is how we use it every single day. Just go to your just go to your bank account. This is how the zero actually right. works. That's so true. when we look, it's true. It is. So when we look at the zero, the quality of the zero is nothing, and yet it has a bunch of power. Okay. And it's actually considered a non-number by a lot of modern mathematicians. So you only the first number you come to is one. Now, what is that oneness? Well, of course, that's God as well, right? Because it would be the be the totality, the unity, the the all-encompassing force that is is because it's not like God is just immaterial. God is both immaterial and material. In the beginning, God created what heaven and earth. He created heaven and earth at the same time. This is compasses and square. This is heaven and earth. This is spirit and matter. This is, as far as I can tell, this would be zero and one. Now, to go back to how this is used, how these basic principles. Now, once again, that could be my interpretation of it, but that's actually not my interpretation of it. This is what Kabbalists will tell you. Like, if you read Kabbalistic literature and you look at the ten emanations of God, is what it's understood, not just a Jewish thing. This is this is you know, as we know, there's Christian Kabbalists as I am. If you read Kabbalistic literature, this is what they'll tell you, and it makes sense because this is actually the qualities of zero and this is the qualities of zero and one. So the first two numbers, uh, once again, non-number and number in our number line. This is the first thing you get to now. 
we get to the internet, the very thing that we're using right now. And I said, look, this is a black magic thing right now that we're dealing with, right? It, it was is. obviously created by DARPA. So, you know, they know what they know what they're doing, you know. Zero in English gematria using the septenary system. Um, the septenary cipher, it's the only was the only cipher I use exclusively. It's the only one I tout. It's because I got this from the Bible, as well as the fact that it encodes the septenary cipher encodes a bunch of mathematical constants in the intrinsic structure of the cipher itself. In this cipher, zero and one, right, are, are considered on and off. That's what it is on the internet. On lets information in, off keeps it out, on off. It's gazillions, gazillions of iterations of those two things. Well, in the English cipher, which is based on pi, the whole thing's based on pi, on equals three and off equals 14. So on is two, one, and that equals three, and off is um, OFF is two, six, six, and this equals 14. So you literally, every light switch that you've ever seen, every light switch that you've ever seen is three, 14. Now, what's the difference between a light switch being on and off? What's the point? It's a point between those two, right? It's a point between on and off. Well, that's 3.14, 3.14. Every time you switch a light switch on and off, that's exactly what the internet is. So here you have occultists using this information to literally create the very thing that we're speaking on right now. Okay, so a couple of things. When you started to go into the idea of, I suppose, the, the Sephiroth and, and the Tree of Life and these kinds of things, to use the idea of zero, that becomes a spiritual or a mental exercise. And I don't have a problem with that. These are conceptual ideas. When it comes back to the physical world, the way, and you rightly pointed out, this is how zero works. I don't think there's any arguing. And anyone can go to their ATM or their bank or anywhere else to see how zero is being used. But this is my problem. I think that that's detached from nature is the best way I can put it. You're not wrong. I mean, we can see that it's being used in the way you said it is. But to me, that is the root, one of the roots of fallacy. But to me, also, when you get into a spiritual idea where you're using your mind for spiritual or religious ideas, these things become conceptuals and tools, and I don't see it as departing from nature and that usage. And so if we went back to, say, some supposed old culture that they've lied about in a thing called his story, and they said, oh, look, they, they invented zero, but they only used it as a placeholder. Well, you can observe that in nature, can't you? But the moment it becomes no thing, it's space. All of a sudden, it's no different from space. This imaginary thing that's only 100 miles above your head, and there's it's nothing. You know, you got a name for it. It's there. They've told you. It's not. Um, it's a vacuum. It's bereft of matter. It's no thing. And yet we know that's not true either at this point, or we're pretty darn certain anyhow. And these are the ideas that always pull me back to our current usage in the physical real world of zero is detached from nature. It, it is like science. It doesn't give a damn where the calendar says we are, where the sun is, what nature's doing, what the plants are doing, what the animals doesn't give a damn. It will finagle to do whatever the hell it wants to do, and it could give a darn about the natural world around us. That's That's my beef if you follow. Okay, let me do one more to try to challenge that. When you say we look at numbers and, you know, we can philosophize on them, right? Like it's it's good, but when you go into nature, you don't see the zero, right? If, you know, it's like it's just right. good philosophy, right? 
No, that's that's not correct, actually, because when you look at how a plant will grow, right, a plant will grow uh, through phylotaxis, right? A plant will grow, it will grow into the proportion of what's known as the golden ratio, the golden mean, the golden proportion. Lots of people know this. It's, it's a ratio of 1 to 6.8 or 1.618 to 1. This whole thing is actually found on the pentagram, right? You actually find this number, so the proportion of the ratio is found in a perfect pentagram. And this is where, I mean, your human body grows into this, plants, animals, everything, essentially everything under the sun, you can find this golden ratio, this golden mean, right? Well, okay. the, the mathematics to actually create that is, is found within the Fibonacci sequence. So it's a natural sequence of numbers that it's, once again, it's this, it's this natural archetype or template that everything sort of flows through, right? You find this archetype. Well, do you know how you build that? You you build it with two numbers. The entire Fibonacci sequence, the entire sequence actually starts with what? Zero and one. You can't even build the Fibonacci sequence in order to find the ratio of phi unless you start with what? It goes zero plus one is one. One plus one is two. Two plus one is three. Three plus two is five. Five plus three is eight. Eight plus, you know, et cetera. Right, okay, so so wait a minute, Marty. Define, define why you need the zero to get started because are you starting from no thing? Nothing, you know, the blank the piece of paper? No, the zero becomes important only when you have the materiality. And this is actually why I was, uh, once again, this is a little bit more explaining, explaining here, but when you have... Just like we said, the Pythagoreans didn't consider the first number till the number three because there was a geometric correlation there, right? So when we look at the first even couple numbers, right, like zero and one, you can't even understand zero until you have one, right? You need a oneness, right? In order to even go back and say, you got three minutes, gotcha. Uh, I can wrap this up in three minutes, I promise. Um, you, you, you need a one before you can even look at the idea. You need matter before you can even look at the idea that there's immateriality, correct? Like to even identify the fact that there would be an immateriality or that there would be some sort of spirit or whatever, you would almost need a materiality. But since one is not separated, oneness is still oneness, if you will. So there's no division within there to see something separate. Well, what's the next number in our number line? It's division. It's two. It's duality. All of a sudden, you had nothingness. The nothingness came a totality. The totality was everything. It was unity. This is exactly how the Kabbalists explain it, too. Zero is nothing. That's the immateriality. becomes the oneness, which is the totality. What happens to that oneness? It divides. This is what Ari Schwalder uh, Lubitsch calls the primordial scission. There needed to be a great division and separation from that oneness to have a unity, a yin-yang, a, a shiva and shakti. Now all of a sudden you have a separation. Now you have a reflection. The man can look at the woman, the woman can look at the man, the left can look at the right, the right can look at the left, etc. Now you have the division between the two. What is born from all this? The number three. So once again, this is how it's understood Kabbalistically. Now there's a whole bunch of math to that, that we can actually point. It goes right to the human hands and maybe we'll do that second hour. So All right. So yeah, we are at the, at the top of the first hour and I kind of see where we're going. We'll pick it up when we come back, but I think I'm still holding firm where I was and we'll address it. Um, but this is a good thing to have someone take a different point of view than I've put forward. Maybe we'll end up somewhere new. Guys, please support the people like Crow Triple Seven. Please support the people that you listen to. Make sure that you're supporting them with your money. Make sure that you keep these people alive. It's it's important. You don't have to agree with everything Crow has to say. You don't have to agree with everything Marty Leeds has to say. Crow and I don't even have to agree with each other. But you know what? What we're doing, we're trying to figure this thing out, and we're putting ourselves out there. So go and support the people. Go and support these people. They need your support. That's all I want to say. And Marty, go ahead and take a moment and say where everyone can find you. Best place is martyleads33.com. Um, I do have a YouTube account, but who knows how that how long that'll be up. And then, you know, I, I live stream from DLive too. So that's the best place to get me. 
All right, man. That brings our one with Marty Leeds to a close. Please join us all over at Crow Triple Seven Radio, C R R O W seven 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 radio.com. We serve our own content from a private server to ensure that we can exercise free speech. And let me tell you something. So many people have a beef with the way we're doing this, but the truth is here on YouTube, we don't have free speech. I'm getting videos pulled down from three years ago. I'm getting ads removed, which doesn't bother me so much, but it's still censorship. It's ridiculous. Without that private website that we fund ourselves, there would be no semblance of free speech anymore. So we hope we'll see you over there at crow777radio.com for hour two. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing. Oh.